Back home again in dear old Elmhurst, and it seems that I can see the gleaming French porch lights still burning bright through the seven wards of trees. The backyard skunks send all their fragrance through the streets I used to roam. When I dream about the moonlight on her salt creek, how I long for my great big Elmer's home. Golly! And now, podcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK, Rick, and their highly paid intern, Malort. Welcome to another edition of the E-Town Lowdown. I'm here in the two-person hot tub with my two buddies, Malort and PK, and our special guest. How are you two guys doing? Pretty good. Doing great. Spring is in the air. Fully vaccinated, ready to rock and roll. Nice. So um, I've never had a game console up here in the hot tub before. How about you guys? Just watch the plug. Right. I don't want to get electrocuted. Got to be careful. Well, Lord, why don't you do uh, an introduction of our special guest tonight? I would be happy to. Our special guest this evening is Elmhurst resident and CEO of Jackbox Games, Mike Builder. Mike, welcome to the Lowdown. Thank you very much for having me. This is uh, our first foray into uh, the gaming world on the Lowdown, so we're hoping to get some uh, knowledge and insight from you. But we're going to back it up a little bit. I'd like to uh, start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your background and where you grew up. Sure. So I grew up in the south side, south suburbs. My guy. Grew up in Chicago Ridge. Um, Went to uh, Our Lady of the Ridge grade school and then went to Marist High School. Uh, Moved away after that to Purdue. So still stayed in the Midwest. Hell to old Purdue. Yep. Um, (laughs) Studied, initially studied electrical engineering there and then changed my major about halfway through uh, to computer science. And then uh, out of there, I, uh, I went to Motorola and stayed for about a year and a half or so, about a year. Did you co-op at all there while you were in school? I, no, I didn't. Um, I had a lot of fun at Purdue. Got a lot of great friends. In fact, recruited many of them to move to Elmhurst. Um, have a, had a big fraternity kind of group that all moved to the, to the city out of school. Do like a everybody. plug for your fraternity. Which fraternity? I was Sig Epsilon, Sigma Phi Epsilon. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and a bunch of them are Elmhurst residents now and raising their families out here like the rest of the suburbanites. Well, so so, so at some point, you got to tell us how you came to Elmhurst. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I went to Motorola. Um, I actually met my wife at Motorola, um, but I left quickly to get into the games industry. I kind of knew I wanted to make video games. Um, and Chicago had a handful of studios, uh, one of the biggest being Midway Games, which was known for... Mortal Kombat and NBA Jam and NFL Blitz and a number of really successful coin-op machines that... Were you, were you the guy who invented, he's heating up, he's no, on fire? No. Tell but, me you invented that. No, but uh, but but uh, the gentleman who did invent that, Mark Jamel, hired me at Midway. Nice. So uh, it was a dream come true. You know, I spent every dollar that I made mowing a lawn or doing any kind of work at an arcade growing up. And so 
I got to work alongside these brilliant minds uh, who did all these coin op games that that I loved. Um, and so I stayed at Midway Games for uh, about nine years, um, and then I left there to uh, restart the company that was formerly known as Jellyvision, uh, which was known for making the trivia game You Don't Know Jack. And uh, and we restarted that company and rebranded it, renamed it to Jackbox Games. So, so you know, there's a lot of kids that love video games and they want to make a career of it, whether it be playing competitively or designing them. What percentage of those really end up doing that? Is it really hard to get into that industry? Yeah, so when I was coming out of school, it was very hard because it was a very closed uh, ecosystem. Um, you had to get a job at a big game publisher like Electronic Arts, EA, or Activision, or Midway, or a big publisher at the time. It was the only way to really get into making games. You couldn't just do it in your garage and publish a game. You know, Nowadays, it's a lot easier. You want to make an app for an iPhone, make a game or an iPad, you can go grab a couple of people that are knowledgeable in it or talented, and you can make your own apps and launch them yourself, self-publish them. Uh, but for a very long period of time, especially as I was coming into the industry, you needed a publisher. You needed to work for a big kind of a big company, and it was very competitive and somewhat cutthroat to get in there. And there was a big chicken and egg problem. They'd always want to know what games have you worked on, what have you done. And if you haven't worked on any games, it's pretty hard to get in. Um, and so uh, I tried out of school, and and that was challenging. Went and got an engineering job at Motorola, and and then that was kind of my entry. Persistence was my entry into Midway. Did you also say that's where you met your wife? It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so it was a good stopover because, uh, you know, a, a bunch of good friends and then obviously my wife. Did uh, you spend an inordinate amount of time playing video games growing up, or were you yes. just average? Yes. No, yeah. I was... I was you know, the way you probably yell at your kids now for playing too much video games, that was me back then. Uh, yeah. So you're a little younger than a couple of us here. What what were the first video games you remember playing? Yeah. So um, I, I had an Atari, the original Atari 2600. That was kind of the, the, the thing that got me addicted to it. Um, and then going out, you know, at the time you'd go to any restaurant and they had a little arcade section. You go to Pizza Hut, you go to a lot of them would have arcade games. Um, they're a little harder to find nowadays. But right. uh, And then you'd go to the mall and you'd go to an Aladdin's Castle and they'd have all the amazing arcade. And those were so much higher fidelity and cooler of experiences than what you could get at home. The arcades were always cutting edge right. um, that it was always just mesmerizing. And I'd spend, uh, you know, like I said, every dollar I had in my wallet, I'd feed into a token machine and then go play video games. So rewind back to sixth or seventh grade. What what game did you enjoy going oh, to play man. either at an arcade wow. and on on your home system? Yeah, so um, I was always a fiend for Centipede and Millipede, the one with the trackball. And, uh, you know, I, if they, if that arcade game existed in, in the arcade, I would play it. Um, but I bought the home versions of that as well. So I'd play the heck out of that on the Atari. I mean, I probably I don't even know how many Atari games I had. Probably fifty some Atari games. And then when the Nintendo Entertainment System came out, then suddenly you had you know Mario and Zelda and those icons that are still relevant today. Um, but the fidelity of what that was compared to the Atari was amazing, and it didn't still rival what was being done in the arcades. But it was still just such a deeper experience and a a cooler experience. Longer games, story games, save points. Um, you know, really evolved, and I got sucked into that big time. And, um, you know, getting together with friends or multiplayer with friends was they'd have to come over. There was no online play then. So there'd always be a half a dozen kids in my basement, and we'd all just be playing video games, um, taking turns. 
So did you skip past Intellivision and ColecoVision and go right yeah. to Nintendo? I didn't own those. But really? I family members did, friends sure. did. So we oh, all, you sure, know, of course, we all partook in each other's generational jumps, right? Uh, and and that was half the fun of it. You right. know, we're going over to Ryan's house today. And we're going to play his Intellivision. We're going to Brian's house tomorrow, and we're going to play his ColecoVision. Yeah. So. So what? Game console? Do you remember having in college at Sig? You said Sig up. Yeah. So uh, I bought the. So I brought the consoles that I had. I brought a Nintendo. Um, but the Nintendo sixty four came out when I was in co- the very end of my college, and I bought that. And there were many a class skipped where we would just sit in the dorm room playing basketball, four player, multiplayer basketball. It was career development. That's right. Yeah. In hindsight, it's the best decisions I've made. Right? <laughs> Unbeknownst to you, that was right. career development. Exactly. That's Other right. than your wife. Yeah. Right? Well, of Other course. Other than choosing of, your wife, be of careful. Of course. That's right. You of know, this, these things yeah. last forever, Mike. <laughs> these she, podcasts. She might even listen. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure she will. But I doubt it. <laughs> I'm sure she will. Um, she asked if there was a way to, to listen live, and I said, it's not a live broadcast, just a podcast tonight. So, yeah. so Mike, th- when you were at Marist, yeah. did you already kind of know that was the direction you were headed professionally or so i was did I come to you later on um growing up i was always into electronics um if it had if it took batteries or plugged into a wall i was always taking it apart and trying to figure out how it worked um many many times breaking things and then sometimes i started getting good at repairing them and started repairing televisions for family members and things and and uh um, but I always loved physically wiring things together and setting things up. Um, and then I was fascinated by software. So when you know, I begged my parents for years to get a computer, and when we finally got one, um, you know, they, they used to send home those flyers in grade school where you could buy all the books, like the book clubs that you'd get. And there would always be one or two of them in there that were super nerdy about programming in BASIC or something. And I would always buy them. And I didn't have a computer that I could program on. So I'd sleep over at my uh, at my younger cousin's house, and his dad worked uh, at Xerox and had a number of computers. And Did he live in Oak Lawn? No, he lived in Beverly. <laughs> Close enough. He lived in Beverly. And, and, uh, and so we'd, you know, we'd, we'd hang out and play games and do whatever, and then when he'd fall asleep because he was younger than me, I'd stay up on the computer till like 3 in the morning programming basic games. Nice. You, like, mani- you manipulated super, your little cousin, Super huh? nerdy, super nerdy, Wait, yeah. What was the South Side joke there with the Xerox and Oak Lawn and... Oh, oh, Chicago Ridge is right next door to Oak Lawn. Oh, that's yeah. all. So it just oh, seemed okay. like an obvious, yeah. uh, a little further, ob- obvious guess. Beverly, just a you little know, further a east. Over. Yeah, a little further east. Yeah, but yeah, I was, uh, you know, I, I knew early on, and sure. then and then when I could, when I finally got my first computer and started programming um, in high school, I decided I didn't want to take a foreign language anymore, um, and you know that's. Depending on what college you're going to, it's required, or they want you to have at least three or four years. And I wanted to take computer science instead, so I did that for two years in high school, and that really kind of solidified. Like this is what I want to do. So you dropped French, picked up Fortran. I dropped. I dropped. Uh, I dropped Spanish, <laughs> and I picked, I picked up Pascal business. and Pascal, and, of course, and C. Nice, yeah, exactly. Fortran's business languages. Right. No, or Cobol. I took Cobol. Cobol. Yeah. yeah, I took Fortran. Back yeah. in the engineering was science, that's right. So yeah. Rick and PK, I can pretty much envision what Mike's life was like. So your your Saturday would have been getting up, going to, going to Chicago Ridge Mall, stopping at the Radio Shack, grabbing an Orange Julius, playing a bunch of games at, at Lance Castle, uh, uh, yeah. which were all right there. Castle, so you, of course. You, you know the map of Chicago Ridge Mall. Very well. Yeah, it's, that's right. Very well. Is yeah. that where the Blues Brothers wrecked? Yeah. No, that was no. Dixie Square in oh, Markham. Yeah. 
Okay, it's right oh, off of geez. 294, right? Just oh. off of Dixie Highway. Yeah. Hence wow. the Dixie Square name, right? Yeah. Pier <laughs> 1 Imports. This place has everything. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's scary. I, I could go for a while on the Booze Brothers, but how I far, digress. How far from Vito and Nick's? A long Chicago way. Ridge from Vito and Nick's, uh, five minutes, Mike, maybe. Sure. So we take an annual or so trip pre-pandemic down to Vito and Nick's on Pulaski. Okay. And... Uh, Best, best, yeah, pizza. best pizza around, best and, pizza. Uh, yeah. and Rick did a uh, blind taste test. You remember the oh, old? Oh, don't let's not go there. <laughs> you remember the old when they did the old Coke and Pepsi blind sure. test? I might, okay. I might have yeah. been over Pepsi challenge. Rick did the <laughs> PBR old style blind taste test. <laughs> Got him wrong, and, and he failed. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. I'm not sure. It was well, you, not a good control you know, system. You, you lose your sense of taste the more you drink, right? So that maybe that was it. Who do we have with now, us? Jimmy the Grabber. Yep. In that area is my favorite pizza place ever. Which one? Which is Palermo's. Been there. Oh, Bobby Bobby Hedrick. He loves Palermo's. <laughs> Palermo's is my all-time so, favorite. In fact, we drive there from right? Elmhurst to pick it up and bring it home. Like, nice. That's how yep. much we love it. Yeah. So we rotate the annual pizza trip down the south side. There's a, like you mentioned, a lot of guys from the yeah. south side who moved up here. Sure. We rotate it around. So we've done Palermo's. We've done Beggars because that was my choice yeah, being sure. a Blue Island guy. Yeah. And uh, Vito and Nick's and oh, Foxes uh, and God, what else is down there? That's amazing. my favorite story. Our buddy Bobby Hedrick, who loves Palermo's just like yeah. you do. Yeah, his uh, he's going to visit his mom down in Oakland one day, and she's like, "Oh, I've got a, I'm gonna have a Palermo's for you." Well, it's a Palermo's frozen, which no. has absolutely <laughs> yeah. nothing to do with Palermo's. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We just had friends over, and we uh, we went up for pizza with them recently, and then we were telling, well, all right, we're going to reciprocate, and we're going to get our favorite pizza. So we had them over, and we brought we bought Palermo's pizza and drove and brought it back, and. They're like, oh, I recognize this pizza. You can buy it in the frozen. Like, nope, that's different nope. kind of Palermo's. Totally different Palermo's. <laughs> yeah. Next time we go, we we're going to have to invite you, Mike, and we might just meet for uh, an adult beverage before we go. Sure. And uh, then we go I'd down love there, to. get yeah. about two carloads, and uh, we'll Not, go to Pal- We haven't been to Palermo's yeah. in a long time. Well, we. So I didn't want to go too deep on the Palermo's, but since we're down here, we're going to go deep all the way. Sure. So the reason why we haven't been to Palermo's lately is because the last time we tried to go to Palermo's, we made the mistake. Rick, you remember this? They're closed on Tuesdays. And they're closed. Oh, jeez. Drove all the way down there. (laughs) Consolation prize. We all had dinner at Petey's Bungalow on 95th. Oh, all right. You ever been to Petey's? No. It's It's worth it. Yeah, 95th and what? Where where am I? It's right across from the hospital. Christ Hospital. By Christ Hospital. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, right across the street. It's only been there 150 years, probably. <laughs> right. And Petey's still there. He's like 187 now. Right, right. That's so great. what made you jump from Motorola? Well, for no, Motorola. No, no, You went, I'm sorry, yeah. you were at Midway? Yeah, I was at Midway. Um, so Midway was a public company, um, and Midway was kind of on some tough times. They went through this uh, kind of aggressive expansion where they were buying up a bunch of game studios and trying to compete with the publishers that were bigger than them through just acquisition and sheer mass of force. And, um, you know, with those acquisitions comes much more overhead and your burn rate goes way up. And so when I started, they had a couple hundred million in the bank and were profitable and doing well. And as they went through this expansion, we were now a couple hundred million in debt that we had borrowed from the company, from the banks. And, um, you know, the Chicago studio. So when I left, I was, um, the head of the Chicago studio. So all the product development in Chicago, um, which was about 300 some people, uh, was about five major games were being developed plus different specialty groups and animation and mocap group and 
um, cinematics group, advanced technology group, all kind of helped feed into those games that were in development. Super exciting, a lot of lot of fun. Um, but our studio was really the only profitable studio in the whole company. All the other studios uh, were just bleeding cash. Um, and there was kind of an upheaval at the management level. The board ousted the CEO. Um, they did some management reshifting. And there was, in my opinion, kind of a small window of time where maybe we could right the ship. And, you know, you'd have to basically downsize drastically and kind of get back to just a small studio. And some of those signals weren't happening that that was going to be the case. So I started looking. I was going to business school at the time. I was working on my MBA at night. Um, and so I knew I wanted, and my whole family is here. I mean, we're all in Chicago. And so I knew I wanted to stay uh, around here. And so it was, I'm either going to break off and maybe try and start my own thing up, or I'll look around and see what other gaming companies are happening. And um, this opportunity that presented itself was kind of the middle of two. It was restarting a company and had an established IP. Um, and uh, it was very much a startup, and I was excited to, to do it. So but, as it relates to you going to business school, yeah, you know, I, I remember uh, Purdue engineers weren't necessarily considered great managers later in their career. Some of them were. Sure. And you started as an engineer, went into computer science. I don't yeah. necessarily think of computer programmers is great manager. So sure. was that something you recognized you yeah. you needed help with or did you have a yeah. a knack for that that you decided to go to business school? Yeah, so kind of twofold. Um uh as I was progressing when I first started at Midway I was a programmer. So I worked on a game team instantly and this was kind of a dream come true. Um as I did that for a few years, I kind of realized then that um you know, I'm I'm probably not going to be a career engineer. Um, there are people that are better than me or that are progressing further and faster than me in this. And while I'm good and I'm talented at it, um, I'm also good at this and which was more leadership and organization. And, um, I, you know, took the reins of a project that was very much off the rails and, um, kind of myself and a few others, we kind of brought it back to, uh, to, to a good production cycle where we launched the product. Um, uh, you know, in, in, in college, I was the president of our fraternity for a while. And so I kind of had some of this leadership experience and enjoyed it. And so I kind of naturally decided, all right, I'm either it's, I'm going to hit this why where I'm going to go down this branch and be an engineer the rest of my life and try to progress at that, or I'm going to go this way and I'm going to move away from engineering, but manage development and developers and business and, you know, have at least the base fundamentals of knowing how to build that and how it's done, which I think is a, is, is a big advantage. Um, and, uh, and so I chose the, the management side and the business side. Um, so I moved out of, uh, being a programmer into being a producer and an executive producer. So running a whole team, I was running the NFL blitz franchise. I shipped three or four of those games. Then I ran, then I was running sports. So there were multiple sports games, NBA ballers and MLB slugfest and a bunch of those games as well. And then I moved into running the studio, which included Mortal Kombat and, uh, stranglehold and a couple other kind of big big games that were being done there so when you're working on those type of games that you know with nba or something like that do you have a whole department that's working on licensing separate from the development yeah. team yeah there's a couple people um that were primarily involved with licensing um but as being uh you know kind of an executive producer of that team or in charge of that department you're also in charge of that relationship so i met with the nfl and the nflpa a bunch of times i met with um uh, the NBA a couple of times. Um, 
and you have to show them the game during development. You have to make sure that you're abiding by their guidelines and restrictions and you know, violence and way that people are portrayed. And you know, there's all kinds of oversight that happens with that. So I'm sure it's hard to generalize, but the development yeah. time uh, in your career, has it changed for, a you know, uh, developing a game? Like, did it used to take years and now it takes months or, or vice versa? Yeah, I think it's it? I think it's more going the opposite. Okay. Um, they're they're becoming bigger and, and, you know, costlier endeavors. I mean, some games take three, four years. This yeah. cyberpunk that just came out took about a decade. They've been working on that game for forever. Well, um, and you have more people working on it, I'm sure. Yeah, and if you watch I mean, you the, tell if you the, watch the credit roll, the credit yeah. roll takes you know, like 35 minutes to get through it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like watching a feature film. There's and yeah. there, Even more so because there's so many people that they, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll, they'll contract to do animation, they'll contract to do lighting, they'll contract to do all this kind of work um, that the... the the wrangling of all the people that produce it is huge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, our games are a little different. Um, uh, you know, we, we kind of set to an annual schedule and the scope and size of them, as you've seen, they're a little simpler. Um, you know, they're not 3D graphical open worlds. You're not driving and running around. And there's all kinds of complexities that come into, you know, 3D based games. Yeah. Um, ours are ours are not as simple as maybe a match three game on a mobile phone would be to produce. But um, they're somewhere in the middle. Yeah. We're going to take a break in a minute, but I do want to say that uh, Malort and PK and I uh, played some Jackbox games last week and uh, found them a lot of fun, and we really want to try playing them with a larger group and with our wives. It was a lot of fun, and thank, thanks to Malort's son, uh, teenage son being here to teach us. <laughs> Tater tot. Well, you actually, actually Malort knew how to play, but... Yeah. Yeah. He's the master, though. Yes, he was. He, he's also my... Uh, walking talking help desk that's great but, uh, yeah, we right. had a great time yeah. and uh, we want to talk about that more on our next segment but let's take a quick break perfect you're listening to the e-town lowdown robbie rick pk when you don't have anything better to do and now it's time for another installment of one ponce a time with lowdown legend pk and his overly enthused yesteryear expert friend elmhurst history museum director dave oberg Hey, boys and girls, let's talk about the right stuff. Just so you know, this is the first job I ever had when I was 12 years old. I worked at one of the Frank Lloyd Wright houses in Elmhurst. But one pounce of time, did you know that Frank Lloyd Wright made his mark on the city of Elmhurst? While the famous architect's offices might have been nearby Oak Park, he designed a number of homes and buildings in the western suburbs, including Elmhurst. His influence can also be seen in the works of Walter Burley Griffin, a protege and former Elmhurst resident who designed a number of buildings here before moving halfway around the world with his wife, Marion Mahoney Griffin, to establish a firm in Australia and design the new capital city of Canberra. Okay, so let's take a, a deeper look. Frank Lloyd Wright designed a stately home for Frank B. Henderson in Elmhurst in 1901 during his very short-lived partnership with H. Webster Tomlinson. The home at 301 South Kenilworth bears many of the hallmarks of Wright's Prairie School style. These include the low-pitched roofs with deep overhanging eaves we expect, an emphasis on the horizontal over the vertical, reinforced by rows of casement windows and horizontal lines, and use of natural materials like wood and stucco. The inside features Wright's breathtakingly modern open floor plan anchored by a central hearth. 
The home is still a residence today and was placed on the National Register of Historic Places in 2002. More recently, residents of the home granted a preservation easement to the Frank Lloyd Wright Building Conservancy in fall of 2019, which will help protect the residents in perpetuity. Now, Wright's influence in Elmhurst extended beyond that single home. An Elmhurst teenager named Walter Burley Griffin became enamored with architecture after visiting the Columbian Exposition in 1893 in Chicago. After studying at the University of Illinois, Griffin would go on to work as a draftsman for several Prairie School architects in the Chicago area and eventually would land a job with Frank Lloyd Wright himself in Oak Park. There, he worked with Marion Mahoney, a pioneering female architect who would become his partner in marriage and in business. Now, while working at Wright's firm, Griffin undertook several independent residential commissions, one of which was the Emory House at 281 Arlington in Elmhurst. This was a wedding gift from William Emery Sr. to his son upon marrying the daughter of Thomas Wilder in 1903, and it was the first of three houses that Walter Burley Griffin would design in Elmhurst. After leaving Wright's firm in 1906, Walter Burley Griffin would later design the Sloan House at 248 Arlington in 1910 and the Beggs House at 296 Elm in 1911. Now, sadly, the Beggs House was demolished in 2002, but the other two residences still proudly stand in Elmhurst today. In addition to residential projects, Griffin also designed the clubhouse for the Elmhurst Golf Club and the stables for the Wilder Estate. Outside of Elmhurst, more than 100 homes across the Midwest are attributed to Walter Burley Griffin's practice. Now, Walter and Marion's careers reached new heights in 1912 when they were awarded the opportunity to design the new Australian capital of Canberra after submitting a proposal to an international contest the previous year. They left America for Australia in 1914 to oversee the implementation of the plan, and they closed their stateside practice in 1917 when it became apparent that their business in Australia would be more than enough to keep them busy. The Griffins would go on to a successful career in the land down under, as well as in India, before Walter's untimely death in 1937. Walter Burley Griffin left a signature architectural footprint on several continents, and although several of his local buildings are no longer standing, his ties to Elmhurst stand as an important facet of the Griffin legacy and proof that Elmhurst still has the right stuff. This is Mary Beth Harper, director of the Elmhurst Public Library, and you're listening to the E-Town Lowdown with your hosts, Robbie and Rick, but PK is the one with all the talent. Back here on the Lowdown with my personal favorite segment, the E-Town Lowdown Mowdown, where we mow down our special guests to their very core. Today's guest, Mike Builder, the CEO of Jackbox Games, has his Atari shirt on, and he is ready, right, Mike? I'm Re- ready. Let's ready go. Ready to play? Here sure. you go. Spock or Scotty? Oh, Scotty. Um, there's the um. <laughs> Pac-Man or Donkey Kong? Donkey Kong. Ping pong or pool? Ping pong. Thin crust or deep dish? That's tough. Both. How about, uh, I'll go deep dish, though. The book or the movie? Uh, the book. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Ross 8 or Mackie? Oh, uh, Mackie. Lefty or righty? Righty. Pulaski or Crawford? <laughs> Pulaski. There you go. South Park or Family Guy? South Park. Fibbage or Quick Plish? <laughs> I don't even know what it is. <laughs> um, I like them both equally, but I'm going to go with Fibbage. Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks. First record album? Uh, the Police, I think. Which one? Come on. It was a greatest hits, I think, at the time. Well, it'll be a, it wouldn't be a cassette. It'd be a cassette. 
cassette. I didn't have any albums growing up. Okay. I mean, my parents had Johnny Mathis albums and Christmas albums. Chances and... are they had that one. They did. That's yeah. true. Yeah, it had been a cassette. No brainer. Cubs or Sox? Let's see, this Whoa. is the one I'm going to get wrong, I guess. I grew up a Sox fan because yeah. I was a Figure. Sox fan. Right, right answer. Yeah. Right answer. Yeah. yeah, so I have to stick with that. But, you know, when you move to the Lincoln Park and go to Cubs games, you gotta have you gotta root for the Cubs too. So sure. Yeah. Here's the uh, most important mode on question. Okay. Mary Ann or Ginger? Oh man, Ginger. Right. <laughs> it's a been a while. Somebody got it right. Oh, we need a bell or something. <laughs> ding no. ding 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 ding. Yeah. Somebody got it right for once. <laughs> Holy cow! Nike or Reebok? Uh Nike. Tile or hardwood? Uh hardwood. Here's a tough one. Galaxian. Or Galaga. Galaga, always. Look yeah. at that. He's like, no hesitation, Galaga. That's not tough. Yeah. <laughs> Appetizers or hors d'oeuvres? Appetizers. Madonna or Lady Gaga? Madonna. Bono or Bono? Oh, God. I don't know. Bono. How about Galaga or Zaxxon? Galaga. <laughs> Charlie Sheen. Zaxxon's, Zaxxon's really hard. It's, it's an <laughs> angular. It's hard to play. Galaga, always. Charlie Sheen? Or Ashton Kutcher, Charlie. Oh God! Uh, how about old school Charlie Sheen? Not not <laughs> breakdown Charlie Sheen. Winning. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hot My dogs. goddesses. Yeah. Right. <laughs> hot dogs. Ketchup or heck no. I I do ketchup. I break the rule. I never had that rule growing up. Me neither. It's like everybody who's not from Chicago asks you about the rule, and then I'm like, <laughs> we always put ketchup on our hot dogs growing up. But Beatles or Stones. Uh Stones. Fallon or Kimmel? Fallon. Rocky Road or Cherry Garcia? Rocky Road. Mario Brothers or Super Mario Brothers? Oh, God, they're both great, but Super Mario Brothers. Restaurant or home cooking? Uh, home cooking. Hulk Hogan or The Rock? Ooh. Uh, I'd say Hogan. George Foreman or Joe Frazier? Foreman. Uh, yeah. Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson? Tyson. Bald Bull or Don Flamenco? Oh, Bald Bull. <laughs> Much harder to defeat. French fries <laughs> or onion rings? French fries. Swimming pool or lake? Swimming pool. Roosevelt or Roosevelt? Uh, Roosevelt. Jean wow. jacket or leather jacket? Jean jacket. Batman or Superman? Batman. Goose Island or Revolution? Goose Island. East Coast or West Coast? Just in general? <laughs> uh, East Coast. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Bigger rival, Brother Rice or Mount Carmel? Uh, depends on the sport and the year, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I'll go with Brother Rice. Favorite holiday? Christmas. Grammys or Oscars? Uh, Oscars. Should men wear sandals? Sure. <laughs> Blackjack or poker? Blackjack. Walking or bicycling? Bicycling. Magnum P.I. or Sam Malone? Magnum P.I. Shakespeare or Harlequin? Shakespeare. <laughs> spring or fall? Spring. Ah, ah, sure, spring. Mac or PC? PC. Red or black licorice? Neither. Nice. Wow. Yeah, not a fan. Uh, mashed potatoes or baked potatoes? Mashed potatoes. 
Invisibility or super strength? Oh, ah, uh, super strength. McDonald's or Burger King? McDonald's. Drive or fly? Uh, fly. Which shoe do you put on first, left or right? I don't know. Left, I guess. Yeah. In the last round think about of it. three questions, Sun Times or Tribune? Uh, Tribune. Iced tea or lemonade? Uh, iced tea. The question the whole world's waiting for you to answer. David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar? Oh, man. Let's go David Lee Roth. Oh, my God. Why not? I thought we were going to have our first perfect score. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong answer. It's fine. And you know what you get for one wrong answer? What's that? Nothing. Okay. What did I get if I got them all right? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, okay. Well, then it all works out. Well, thanks for being a good sport. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Hello, Pete Kruger here from the Elmhurst Independent Newspaper. When I want a good laugh, I listen to E-Town Lowdown. Even though Rick, Robbie, and PK podcast from a hot tub, they're three cool dudes. The staff and management of the E-Town Lowdown would like to assure our more sensitive listeners that our food critic Sal is really half Italian. His mother is from Poland, and his father is from the great country of Italy. We hope you will enjoy and not be offended. Hey, Goomba! It's me, Slappy Sal, a half-Italian food critic here, with yet another culinary experience to talk about. I went over to the Silverado Grill, but I didn't have any of my fellow Italians with me. Instead, it was me, Billy the Kid, Maddie the Duke, and Marky Mark. An Irish guy, a German guy, and a Canadian. It's kind of like a League of Nations meeting on Spring Road. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? These guys told me that Silverado was like a townie joint. I'm not really sure what they're talking about. i never seen none of those people in any town i ever been in. Not in Bologna, not in Palermo. Unless maybe they're all from Rome or something, I don't know. But hey, there are all kinds of nice people there. All the servers seem to know everybody in there. Kind of like that TV show Cheers. You know that Norm guy? He's a funny guy. You know, like, funny haha. Turns out everybody in the place knows the owner. Skinny Jack, I call him. Skinny Jack comes up to me and I says, uh, Hey, Jack, how you doing? You know what he says? Fine. I don't know, man. I don't think Jack's even one-eighth Italian, but they, you know, nobody's perfect. But we had some good food. Billy goes burger, Maddie goes steak sandwich, Marky goes Doc's Texas chicken. Me? I go Jack's Kebab. Come on now, it's got the owner's name on it, so I figured it's got to be good, right? You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Turns out this place is solid. They do it all solid right down to the fries. No complaints across the board, and the drinks are good too. Beers, rum and cokes, they got it all. Think I might have to hang out with these goofballs more often, because Silverado's got a menu that this handsome half-breed here can't resist. Now, if Skinny Jack could just get some pasta fazool on the menu, it'd be perfect. I'm Slappy Sal for the E-Town Lowdown saying, hey, go down to the Silverado and tell Skinny Jack that I sent you. Hi, this is Pamela Dunley. As president and CEO of Elmhurst Hospital, I know that sometimes laughter can be the best medicine. When I need a good laugh, I tune into the E-Town Lowdown. And you should too. Give it a try. 
Back here in the two-person hot tub high above the Butterfield Park water tower with my friends P.K. Malort and our special guest, Mike Builder, CEO of Jackbox Games. So, Mike, we're on the E-Town Lowdown. We have to ask, how do you end up in E-Town? Yeah, so um, out of uh, out of college, moved to the city uh, and was working at Motorola, which is where I met my wife. Is that Schomburg or... Uh, yeah, it was up in up uh, north. Or? It was uh, Arlington Heights. Okay, yeah. so just not the the main headquarters was in Schaumburg, the main mm-hmm. campus, and and there were other kind of satellite buildings and things. And so I was in Arlington Heights. Um, and then after we we moved in together in the city, and then we got married, and we had our daughter, and then we were expecting our son, and we decided we want a house with a yard and. We wanted to make our commutes a little easier. She was commuting all the way out of the city to Arlington Heights. So we started looking at some suburbs, and one of her good college friends lived out here in Elmhurst and really recommended it. So we started looking out in this area. So we were kind of the first of at least my group of friends and family and whatnot to, to come out here. And so we bought in 2005 and uh, lived in the same house since and been raising the kids. And I slowly recruited a whole bunch of friends that – Made their way up from Purdue to Chicago and then out to the Burbs. And then my sister and brother-in-law bought the house across the street from us. And wow, so nice. we've, we've made Elmhurst our own little community now. It's been great. And I understand you can see the hot tub at Butterfield Park. I can. Yeah, I, I live over by Butterfield Park. Exactly. Yeah. We'll so. have to wave down to you when we're doing future shows. We yeah. Didn't, we didn't it, know you were there. Yeah. Well, I should, you know. How would we know? Right. Now we do. Now and you know. You, and you said kids. How many kids? Two kids. A uh, daughter and a son. Uh, both at York. Nice. Yeah. And in full disclosure, Mike's daughter and my son are in the sketch comedy club together. Correct. And that's uh, how I made that connection with Mike in the first place. Yeah. If it weren't for the kids and their fantastic ability to improv, you wouldn't be sitting here. It's a a fun group. They're fun. So your your wives must both have good senses of humor. (laughs) (laughs) Mine would have to. Yeah, I hope. I mean, I'm just a big kid. I make video games for a living, and the basement's a man cave, so I I married the right woman because she loves it. So. So, Mike, where are your favorite places to go in town? Oh, boy. Uh, you know, it's probably changed over the years. I used to, my all-time favorite used to be McNally's. Sure. Uh, I used to love going there and getting fish and chips, a little kind of Irish place, and that's now changed hands five times. But uh, but it's great. It's Primos Locos. Love it there. Nice. Um, go to 100 South, go to Victory, go to Livia, which is now turning into something else, go to Francesca's, go to Roberto's. I mean, kind of hit all the... All the mainstays, um, and try to frequent every every one of them as much as we can. I guess. So you think E Town is your forever home or for a while home? I, what I do you think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see us going anywhere anytime soon. You brought your world to you, so it right. Like a- right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> they all followed me. So yeah. if I leave, that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned you have kids in high school, or uh, yep. either of them ready to go off to college soon. Uh, my daughter's a junior, uh, and so she's in the throes of SATs and trying to figure all that out. Um, and it's it's a little challenging. I think she's excited and intimidated all at the same time. Future um, boilermaker? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I think, you know, it's uh, – I kind of knew at that age what I wanted to do or what I wanted to study, and yeah. I think I'm I was – the exception to the norm, like nobody does. Nobody knows when they're going off to college. I mean, most kids have no idea. And so, you know, I try really hard to help figure out 
what they want to be when they grow up or what they should study, what they're good at, and or at least find a college that has lots of options. And so they can get into one program but change easily if they decide halfway through they want to do something else. So what advice would you give to a high school student who's interested in video game design? Yeah. A- asking for a friend. Sure. Um, well, video game design is it's, so there's a ton of colleges or uh, kind of for profit schools now that are all about getting a video game design degree, like your full sale university type yeah. places. And the, the the problem with that is the people who get to design the games are the people who have been working uh, in that team for a decade, and then they're given the power and authority and control and the reins to actually design. Nobody is going to say, "I'm going to spend ten million dollars on this." inexperienced student that just came out of school to be the lead designer of my game. And so that that's a little the fallacy of that. Those schools absolutely teach the skills that kids need to be successful there. Um, if you want to be a programmer, I would encourage you to go get an engineering degree. If you want to be a digital artist, I would encourage you to go get a digital art degree or animation degree. All the things that would help you in any other kind of STEM industry or any other kind of creative industry, those degrees are completely applicable because it's very similar nowadays to go make a Pixar movie as it is to go make all the art that's going to go into a video game. It's done the same way through 3D modeling and texture mapping and animation. And from an engineering standpoint, it's all logic and gameplay and scoring and it's all engineering. And then there's a ton of people that surround that as well with production and management and marketing. And so, you know, you, you can go into any kind of discipline and still find your way into the games industry if you want to be that lead designer you just got to be prepared to get in early in a team and work your way up through the ranks because it's just it's a it's a title and a position that's usually reserved for more senior people well it seems like a good time to transition into talking about jackbox games if you don't mind sure so pk and rick i have to uh tell you a quick story about jackbox games in its former iteration but before we go in depth with Mike here, Jellyvision? Yeah. Jellyvision is correct. So, sometime in the perhaps the late 90s, and Mike, you may be able to clarify the timeline. I've sort of lost track exactly of when it happened. The You Don't Know Jack PC game, which is the, the sort of forerunners to yep. what Mike's doing with Jackbox now, were so popular, they piloted a television game show based <laughs> on it. <laughs> they or, did. Malort. A younger, with more hair, Malort, and <laughs> Mrs. Malort went down to Lincoln Park to the pilot tryouts and actually tried out That's so to great. be on the pilot. That's so great. Which wow. ultimately, unfortunately, was never picked up. Right. But it was one of the coolest things we've ever done, and we still talk about it to this day. Um, so, Very fun. Mike, it's a great time for you to sort of, if you don't mind, indulge us a little bit with the history of Jellyvision into yeah. what is now Jackbox. Yeah. So the company was founded in 89 as a company called Learn Television. They were working on infotainment kind of products. They were making educational software that was sold into schools, and there was a teacher's guide, and there was a kind of an interactive quiz show that the kids would have uh, assigned reading, and then they would be quizzed on that. That evolved into the commercial product that became You Don't Know Jack. And so in the 90s, in the kind of mid-90s, and the company renamed to Jellyvision in, in the 90s. In the mid-90s, they had a, a, a big success with You Don't Know Jack, which was a hit PC CD-ROM. It played on Mac and PC at the time. Um, and there was a number of iterations of that. They did volume one and two and three. Can you kind of describe sports. that game really quick? Yeah, it's an it's a interactive um, trivia game uh, where uh, the, the thing that was revolutionary about it is it didn't put 
um, avatars up on the screen. So you weren't playing as a person on the screen. It was uh, it was just a score and mostly text, but the logic and the hosting audio that was in the game was so robust in its branching logic that it really felt like you were present on the show. The, the, the host was talking to you and asking you questions and reacting to your moves with all kinds of custom things. And then there's all kinds of Easter eggs in the game. So it had a lot of fun and levity and a real sarcastic wit to it. Um, but it was unique at the time because it was multimedia on a, on a computer and there wasn't a lot of stuff happening like that. And, you know, CD-ROMs allowed you to do that type of thing. So it was, it was very successful. Um, Jellyvision always worked as the uh, developer of it and the IP holder, but they always had a publisher. So uh, the publisher would fund it and would finance it and distribute it and market it. And so they're capturing the lion's share of the revenue um, first, and then uh, you know, the, then the studio shares in, in, in whatever's left of the profits. So they existed that way, and through the 90s, there was a couple attempts at a game show, one that was internally run, and so the pilot that you were on was probably hosted by the founder of the company at the probably time. Probably was. His name is Harry Gottlieb. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, uh, that one didn't get picked up, but then there was another one that did get picked up by ABC, and it was hosted by Paul Rubens. And Pee-wee, so Pee-wee Herman. Pee-wee Herman. Well, like Mr. Herman. Hosted Mr. Uh, Herman. like five or six episodes of You Don't Know Jack on ABC primetime until that got canceled. Right. And so... Unfortunately, it didn't translate well because it was really kind of crazy as a game show on television. Um, but as a as a interactive game, it was very successful. So Paul Rubens is famous for Pee Wee Herman and what else? That's Pee Wee's Playhouse. Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh, yeah, oh, okay. yeah is, right. <laughs> exactly. <about> it. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Continue. Not, right. Not, and, and, not the other thing you referred right, to. And, and, and other things that put a you know put a damper on his career. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways. Uh, the company also then did um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire on CD-ROM, which was, uh, I think, one of the biggest successes for them, but also a thing that led a little bit to their undoing. Um, Wait, it was, Jellyvision did that? Jellyvision did. Oh, so, what, what era was that, Mike? Um, again, you're in the late 90s, early 2000s now. Um, and Regis Philbin was hosting. It's when it was just exploding. Yep, and yep. Disney wanted a game made for Christmas as quickly as they possibly could be made. And so um, a former employee of Jellyvision was working at Disney at the time and said, there's only one studio that can do this, and it's Jellyvision. And so they hired them, and they burned the midnight oil and put out the CD-ROM that was the fastest-selling CD-ROM at the time, and it was went gangbusters. But they put it out everywhere. It went way too wide. They were selling it in hardware stores. They marked it down to 10 bucks instead of a 30 or $40 title. And it kind of was the start of the undoing of what was the PC CD-ROM era. And the other death blow to that kind of industry time frame would have been the rise of home consoles like the PlayStation and higher powered multimedia consoles that had different experiences. And uh, the the company at the time had a whole bunch of success and then it all just kind of dried up and uh, they weren't well positioned to move into the home console stuff. What they did was primarily around keyboards and, you know, people sharing a keyboard and it didn't work well on a joypad or a joystick. And so, so they, uh, they, the founders shut the company down at that point uh, and then uh, founded a new company called the Jellyvision Lab, which was a marketing services company, uh, which is still doing business today as the Jellyvision. As Jellyvision. Uh, it is a very successful company here in Chicago, uh, but the game side of the company or the game business was, was basically shuttered. So fast forward, I'm at midway now through this part of the 2000s. Um, you get to 2008 and the founder says, hey, you know, the Nintendo Wii is out. 
social casual play is happening again. Families are interacting together on a couch and playing bowling, we bowling. And, uh, you know, maybe there is a market again for the kind of games we make. They don't have to be these $60 Call of Duty, you know, first person shooter type games. They can be these mid mid tier price, $30 family social experiences. Um, I want to restart the company. And so he put a search out for a GM to come in and basically start the company up. And that's the job that I responded to and ultimately took. Um, and uh, so I was hired by him as basically employee one. We're restarting the original Jellyvision company. Uh, we own the You Don't Know Jack IP and some technology that's maybe, you know, a decade old now, but we own the technology. Um, and let's start the company up again. And that was 2008? 2008. Mike, what was that like in terms of following 2008? The economy didn't exactly do very yeah. well. What was it like surviving through that period? Yeah, um, it took a while to get a footing with the company. Um, you know, it was very much uh, uh, hand-to-mouth, um, you know, just a skeleton crew, myself and a couple other part-time people as we're trying to shop to publishers at the time to get funding. So we were following that same model of find a big publisher, they'll distribute your game, they'll fund you to develop it, and then they'll distribute the game for you uh, as a financing method. And uh, it was hard. I had a lot of credibility and pedigree because of what I had done for you know almost a decade at, at Midway, but I didn't have a team at my disposal. We were going to assemble a team. I had an IP, and I had myself, and I had a couple really talented people that had been with the company and worked on those original Unona Jacks, but they hadn't done much in the last you know handful of years. So it was a little hard of a sell uh, and took a while, um, but we ultimately landed um, a deal with THQ. Uh, which isn't around anymore either, like Midway Games, unfortunately. But um, we got a publishing deal with them, and we brought You Don't Know Jack to market in 2011 um, on the consoles at the time. So um, uh, it was PC and uh, God, uh, Nintendo, uh, Wii, uh, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360. Um, and... Uh, that kept us going. We built a team around it, and then we uh, decided to kind of move on to what's next. And we couldn't get funding again. It was really hard to go hit the pavement and try to convince publishers to give us money to make something other than You Don't Know Jack. So we decided then, let's self-publish. Let's become our own publisher. And the way to do that was on mobile and social. There was a lot of Facebook gaming and mobile gaming happening. So we went and raised money with a VC. And we started working on You Don't Know Jack for mobile and Facebook. And about what year is this now? This is 2011, 2012. Okay. So around 2012, 2013, we launched the mobile and social versions of You Don't Know Jack, uh, which were successful for a while. And then they, you know, they kind of had a, a, a spike and then they came down and we were working in a freemium model. You know, everything in that marketplace on mobile, nobody wants to pay for anything. They expect to play the games for free and see ads every now and then or be able to pay two bucks and disable the ads or buy a helper that lets them play a little longer. And so we had to kind of re-envision our game to work in that model. And uh, and then we um, unfortunately got to the end of that and we're running thin on cash and having trouble. And we decided, you know, what are we good at? Well, we're good at making party games. Um, we're good at selling them like a premium game. Uh, so let's go back into the premium market. And so that's how, and the challenge at the time was similar to the challenge that Jellyvision ran into in those kind of 2000s era where now you've got to deal with consoles and controllers. How do you get multiple people to play when somebody owns one or maybe two controllers at most? Like how can multiple people play a party game? 
So we developed some technology that allowed to, your mobile phone to work as a controller that would talk to the console um, or the device that's playing the game. And that opened up the possibility for many more people to join and play. But it also um, allowed us to do some very unique gameplay. Now you have a touchscreen in your hand. You can draw pictures. And you have privacy of your own keyboard. You can type in your own lies or bluffs in a game of Fibbage or your own funny responses in Quiplash. And they're not revealed until they show up in the game and the game chooses to reveal them. And so it allowed for us to do these kind of party games that a couple of which we had already envisioned or you know, prototyped before, but didn't have a means of making, um, it suddenly opened the door to all that kind of stuff. I can't even begin to tell you how much PK loved drawing pictures on his phone. Oh, yeah? Actually, though, I was really impressed that I could use my phone to play the game. I draw yeah. baths, guns, curtains, and flies. Okay. And that's all I draw. <laughs> <laughs> hey, depending on the prompt, you might be spot on. You might Just be good. Saying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, that so that, cool. that's kind of the evolution. And then in 2014 is when we launched Fibbage, and then we launched the first Party Pack, and then we've made an annual habit of it since and just launched Party Pack 7 this last October. Do you have a favorite of all of those Party Packs? Because it seems to me everyone I know yeah. who plays Jackbox games has a favorite download. The favorite pack? Prefer. Yeah, favorite pack. Um, you know, it's like picking your kids. You can't, right. have, you can't have a favorite. Um, oh, yeah, you can yeah, I, I have... Uh, <laughs> PK doesn't like half of his kids. <laughs> you know, I like them for not different... True. I not like, true, not I, true. I like some of the games for different reasons. Like, they just remind me of the development cycle or where we were at in the company's history. Um, I really love Fibbage. I think Fibbage kind of helped restart everything that we do right now. Um, Quiplash I, is just easy I, fun. I don't have a lot of experience in this area, but I yeah. was impressed with how it all worked out, where everybody could play on their phone and all that stuff. Yeah. Are there other competitors doing the same thing yeah i don't i don't want to know who they are because we yeah. don't want to give them any air time yeah but right but i i've never seen it before so it's, yeah it's it's a it was a little revolutionary i mean we weren't the first to do it but yeah. we're first to do it kind of well and do it nice. uh with high production values yeah, it's really and, cool and yeah and it allows like i said allows for many more people in the room a lot of the games support eight to twelve players and then we've added things over time because people consume our games in different ways. You mentioned, you know, more in quarantine timeframes when people are playing uh, remotely, they can share the screen over a Zoom call and you can play with people all over the world. It works just as easily uh, to do it that way. But people will play over Twitch, which is an online streaming service, or over Facebook, sure. Facebook Live. And when they do that, um, our games, any single game session allows 10,000 people to join and play it. Wow. So if you're streaming a game of Quiplash, the entirety of your viewing audience can join and vote and sway the game one way or another and so it makes for a really big group kind of uh you know atmosphere and environment it's a lot of fun so speaking of the audience tell our audience a little bit mike for those who aren't familiar with jackbox games give them a sort of a sense if you can of say uh quiplash and, and fibbage maybe yeah so fibbage is a lying bluffing game it'll come up with a um there'll, there'll be a, a a trivia prompt with a blank in it so you know the um the, the the mayor of uh, you know Coldwater, Wisconsin, is best known for blank or something, right? And then everyone on their device gets that same prompt, and they type in their best bluff or lie, and you know it can be funny and goofy. It'll obviously maybe won't be the real answer, or it can be something that might really fool people. Then the game will show that prompt, and it'll show everyone's answers that they put in as well as the actual truth. And then in that mode, everyone's trying to find the truth. 
Um, and if you pick it, you get points for finding the truth. But if you pick someone else's bluff, they get points because they fooled you. And so it's a fun kind of slight game of deception with wacky trivia facts. Quiplash is, uh, you know, it's just who's funnier. It's, you know, uh, it's, you know, what, what do John Goodman's belches smell like? And then you type in your answer and you type in your answer and the two of them show up next to each other and everybody votes on which one's funnier. And it's just a crazy party game that usually gets a little blue depending on who you're playing with. And that, that tends to happen with my mother-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our games. So we quickly realized that a lot of age ranges play our games. Yep. And all of them are rated T for teen. There's a ratings board in the video game industry, just like movies or television. And um, even T for teen, we're a little edgy. You play You Don't Know Jack. There's sarcastic humor. There's some innuendo. And um, so we started adding family friendly filters to our games. So if you're together over the holidays and grandma wants to play with grandson or you know you can turn on family friendly and you won't get any of those risque prompts but, you can, but the answer is john goodman's belches smell like malort that's <laughs> that would be a contender that, that for i sure. gotta tell you that that, that would be would a contender probably up there. win in this group yeah <laughs> right 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 and that's the thing our, our games there's no in a game like quiplash there's no right or wrong answer and it has a lot to do with just playing to your audience so right. depending on who you're playing with you know, it'll go off the rails. You're playing with a bunch of guy friends, playing with family. It's a little cleaner, but you have inside jokes and you have callbacks and all that stuff manifests really well in these games. So, Mike, how long does it take to develop from start to finish a game like that? Yeah, so we do, uh, you know, we're doing five a year now, right? So a party pack has five games in it. Um, and we just, so I'll give you an example. We just shipped party pack seven in October. And there's a little bit of time to support that launch, October into November. But basically in November, the vast majority of the studio is now concepting, prototyping, ideating, paper and pencil testing, just coming up with ideas. Those ideas are blue sky. They come out of you know very talented people in the studio. Some of them are also revisited. We've had games from prior years that just weren't quite right. They weren't ripe enough. They, did, they were pitched, but they weren't approved because they needed to figure out a problem or two. And in many instances, some of our more, more successful games, like Trivia Murder Party is a very successful game. That game had been pitched, and it was red-lit. It wasn't green-lit that year because it just had problems that needed to be fig figured out. And the next year, the team picked it up again, fixed some of those issues, repitched it. It was green-lit, and it's you know, one of our most popular franchises now. We've done a sequel to that. So that phase happens from December through... February-ish time frame. Um, and throughout that, games are being kind of officially pitched internally to a smaller group of leads in the studio. And if they're greenlit, they go immediately into production. We build a little team around it, they go into production. So the games that are greenlit earlier, like in this instance, we greenlit some uh, in November and December, those games have been in production longer. And then we just greenlit our last couple games for this year's pack just about two, three weeks ago. So. We do a lot of that, too. We throw Malort against the wall and see if he sticks. Yeah. Um, so, question. <laughs> you, you said you're working on Party Pack 7, correct? No, we're working on 8 now. 8. Yeah. So, is there still development going on on the first Party Packs? Or no. do you just kind of leave those? Yeah, we okay. leave those. So, our games are sold like board games. Uh, they're a premium price. Uh, you pay... For the first uh, one through five, or one through four, they're $25, $24.99, and then five, six, and seven sell for $30. Um, you buy it, you can play it as much as you want or as little as you want, but we don't microtransact you, we don't sell downloadable content in the games, we don't hit you with ads of any kind. It's, it's just like a boxed Monopoly game. You play it when you want to play it, you put it away. 
Um, and that works well for us. There are people that love certain games. So Drawful is a drawing game, uh, Fibbage, Quiplash, Trivia Murder Party. Those games um, have had sequels. And rather than making a downloadable content pack where there's just more trivia content into an old game, it's better for us to make an entirely new sequel to that game with new features, fix some of the problems that might have existed in the original one, add some new bells and whistles, and add all new content. And people are very excited to buy Fibbage 2 or Fibbage 3 instead of a downloadable pack to Fibbage 1. So, so that's been our model. And we don't revi- we'll, we'll revisit a sequel um, every few years. We don't, we don't want a fa- franchise fatigue where people are tired because they're putting out the same thing every year. Um, you know, for instance, we just launched a new version of Quiplash in Party Pack 7, but we hadn't done a new Quiplash in four years. And it's a very popular game, so there's some pent-up demand for it. We thought we could fix some problems with the final round, add a whole bunch of new prompts, give it a fresh coat of paint, and some added features for, um, for sharing content and doing some other things within the game. And so we did a sequel to that. And that's better received than... Just here's more trivia to download into the, or here's more so prompts to the, download. Should should a new user buy the current version? Or yeah. yeah, you can kind of get introduced in any pack. Okay. Um, and you know, there's a lot of kind of viral word of mouth to how people discover our games. If you're at a friend's house or a family member's house and they happen to turn it on and you play and have fun, you may very well go pick up a pack and do the same thing with your friends or family in the future. And uh, we do get a lot of cross buy, so. Maybe you just found out about us and you just bought the latest pack. Uh, if you love the games in that pack, we've got six more years of games. There's 30 more games that you can go look at, and most of them are wholly unique games. So go kick the tires on a couple packs and figure out which games look interesting to you and pick that one up when it's on so sale. So we played it We played it on Nintendo, right? We played it on the Nintendo Switch. So how does that same set of games work on a PC? Yeah, so uh, they work the same way. They're just different marketplaces. You know, each each marketplace is kind of its own thing. So if you own a PlayStation, you buy it on the Sony PlayStation. If you own an Xbox, you buy it on the Microsoft Xbox Store. If you want it on your laptop, um, you, you can buy it on Steam. You can buy it directly from us on our website. Um, there's a couple other... Go ahead and plug your website. Resellers. Mike. Yeah, jackboxgames.com. You can go learn all about our party packs there and all of our games. Does it work on uh, Apple TV? I, I, it does. Okay. If you have the newer gen Apple TV, which is now four years old, but it's kind of the thicker, taller one. Yeah. It's the one you can install apps on, like Hulu and Netflix and all that. Okay. Um, then, yes, it plays on Apple TV, plays on Amazon Fire TV. We're on 10 different platforms. It plays on iPad, plays on PC, Mac, and Linux. That's incredible. Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo it, it really Switch. It, it, you don't uh, realize how, how cutting edge this is. No, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking it's crazy yeah. that you can do all that. Yeah, yeah. it's. I mean, I it's it's. I, I brag about our studio a lot because you know we're small. We're still you know we're 50 people. We're not tiny. We've grown over the years, but but that's still 50 people to make five games a year and launch them on 10 platforms annually. Yeah, consistently at a high quality. Uh, yeah, I, we've got an amazing crew. And do you it's basically crazy. have one team working on one pack at a time, or do you have? It's one? almost the entirety of the studio is on the pack, and okay. then they're kind of divvied up into the particular game teams that are within that pack. Um, okay. And there are some specialized, you know, folks that will do certain things or certain functions within that development cycle. Um, but for the most part, it kind of consumes our whole company to do what we do annually. So, Mike, you mentioned word of mouth and viral you know, communication about your yeah. products. How, in totality, how does the marketing of Jackbox games really work? Yeah, we do a lot of digital marketing. So think YouTube ads and, you know, okay. Google ads and, 
you know, Facebook. Now we're trying out TikTok, you know, kind of where there's eyeballs of, of people that are lookalike audiences to people that already play our games is where we advertise. This last year um, in, in Q4 of uh, 2020, um, we had we had a spike last year because of this quarantine and people wanting to socially connect and realizing that while our games are kind of built and meant for couch play, they're meant to be played in the same room around a television, you can just as easily do that um, online. You can just share right. the screen the same way you'd share a PowerPoint presentation in a Zoom call. You just share the game screen right. and everybody's a little picture in picture window and they all take out their phone and they're all playing. It works exactly the same way. It works really well. And so we, we had the good fortune of, of, you know, having a lot of people discover our games or be introduced to them just, just that way. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we decided as we had this growth that we recognize there's a huge audience of casual gamers out there, people that might not own a PlayStation or an Xbox, but just as easily play card games or board games with friends or family. And that's really our market. We want to hit that more casual audience. So we went a little broader in, in Q4 this last year. We had, we ran some television ads. I've seen them. Yeah, yeah. with the kind of creepy jackhead yep. that popped up out of the box. Yeah. It love, was, it was, love a, that. it was a lot of fun. Um, and it was, that was very out of left field for us. But, um, but we learned a whole lot and, and we're informed on what we're going to do this year because of all that. So. so I naively asked this question How many countries and languages? Is Jackbox yeah. in now? Yeah. So we are. Um, yeah, I say we're worldwide, but we're but we're really not. Um, um, it's like the podcast. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Our podcast yeah. is multi. We're big in yeah. India, by the way. Okay. Yeah, we are. Our good friend Hosey made made sure of that. Okay. Great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> um, we do not localize. We've only have one game right now that's localized. We did a custom version of Quiplash called. Quiplash International, and we did an <laughs> we did an efigs translation, which means it's English and then it's French, Italian, German, Spanish. Okay, and uh, we just launched that last year, but it is the basis of taking all of our back catalog, our entire franchise, and and localizing it. It's not as easy with our games to just translate the text because there's a lot more going on than sure. just text. It's trivia it's western pop culture it's right. it's western humor and comedy and it's all voice acted it's all hosted it's not just you reading it's all an interactive produced show so in order to you know do that properly and localize that it's a lot more work it's a lot of effort to do it we need to find groups that are funny and find groups that can produce the content and so we're building that right now but i really think that's a huge expansion opportunity for us um, i would assume so yeah, yeah i mean you know from 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 the, the the addressable market that we have now to the world is enormous and we have really no presence in china or japan or you know other huge countries with a lot of gamers so, so your development team are there specific roles in that team like somebody on art somebody on coding yeah how does that work yeah absolutely um there's, uh, you know, there's a team of engineers, probably about 10 to 12 engineers. There's a team of artists, about five to six artists. Um, a couple of people are animators as well. So they're, they're doing, you know, motion stuff instead of just still imagery. Um, we have a team of writers, uh, comedy writers. It's one of the advantages of being in Chicago is we can source from Second City and Improv Olympics and find some really funny people. Um, uh, we have producers that help do project management and kind of keep everybody on track. Game directors are basically creatives or creative directors of the projects. So they're overseeing the creative uh, and, and, you know, the scoring and the rules of the game and how it all ties together. Um, uh, there's a whole QA department that tests all the games. Um, 
And, you know, when we have to submit them to all these different platforms, it's a lot of QA to make sure that they run on all these different devices. And, uh, you know, and we, we do that all annually, all at the same time. So, uh, so are the people who are in charge of uh, kind of recommending your scoring, are they not very good at trivia? Because I noticed that <laughs> you can pretty much be kicking butt at trivia. Uh-huh. I mean, just wiping everybody. Uh-huh. I mean, wiping them. And all of a sudden, they're like right on your heels. Like, what one, just one happened? Good answer. I got like 20 right answers to these guys, too. <laughs> and next thing you know, they get one answer, and they're like one step behind it's me. It's a yes. comeback round. Somebody, might, right. somebody yes. might have lost that trivia murder party. Oh, I see. In yeah. come from behind fashion. I see. It might be a little bitter. But yeah. No, I actually won. That is, uh, I, I won, but barely. <laughs> that, that is, that's the best part about that game, is you think you're dead, and I'm out of the game. You're like, no, you keep playing, and if you're good, you can catch up and steal the body and win Ooh, at the what end. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Actually, that was where, where 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 are you housed? Uh my, my company? Yes. Yeah. Um we're in uh like Lincoln Park, west side of Lincoln Park. And then what happened during COVID? How did you guys uh, Yeah, we're all remote. Where we're, we're still well, remote. So about a year ago now, right? So March, second yeah, week of March yeah. or so, we went remote and um we've been that way since. Uh and, you know, at that time, we were already – we were working on Party Pack 7, so those games are in production. The teams were formed. Uh, you know, it was let's just march along and get this done. Um, you know, this year we've had to do the whole ideation phase and, and concept phase and all that while we're remote as well, which is a little harder because a lot of that is done just in conference rooms. Everybody gets together and books time, and they've got pen and paper, and they're playing out – ideas i mean think of kind of iterating on gameplay mechanics and it is difficult because normally when you're at a table you're looking at each other and yeah you can interrupt just like i just interrupted you yeah (laughs) Um, no but seriously (laughs) you're right the reaction again yeah (laughs) (laughs) no it is tough though to to interact and create i would imagine when you're doing it remotely i think you know we're making the best of it and i think you know we've we we did well last year uh with getting pack seven out um you know this year we're trying to do the same with pack eight and um you know i i long for the day that we're back in the office i think there's a lot of people in the studio i'm sure we'll forever be on some kind of hybrid model just like everybody is now where you can work remote if you want to and um, you know, I don't think overnight things are just going to snap and open up again. Um, but I, I do miss, you know, there's just, there's just, I mean, think of a game studio. People work really hard, but the kind of games we make, there's just a lot of laughter and goofiness. And you yeah. you don't get that interaction when you're all sitting at home working from home on a camera. Right, right. You know, yeah. and so you miss some of that. That's some of the magic. You know, sitting on the Economic Development Commission in Elmhurst, Same. the headquarters of... Uh, Jackbox Games, Elmhurst. You know, there's a lot of people that are willing to do that reverse commute. Sure. Something to think about in the future. Sure, sure. <laughs> Open a West office out here. No, yeah. there's some. No, uh, headquarters. Oh, headquarters. Move the whole <laughs> company mean, out here. Right. I see. Okay. I mean, gosh, there's, yeah. uh, there's a great train that makes its way out here. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> there's some Class A office space coming online here in downtown. All right. All right. Something to think about, we'll see right? see what the future holds. Yeah. All right. So if we can sort of just transition a little bit over to talking a little bit more about your personal life um my transition question into that is now having spent some time working from home with your family around you and and your kids like mine were schooling from home during part of that do your kids think you're like a cool dad or are you just like a giant dork dad like everybody else i don't know i you know it depends i think i've kind of always been a nerd and kind of embraced it and so they kind of always know me as that but 
Um, but that's cool these days. It's cool these yeah, days. Right? There was a turning point, right? So my kids have kind of, you know, over the last seven years or so, you know, Jackbox has really kind of been on the map since maybe 2014, 2015 is when we started to make the games that people know right now. So it's been a little while now. My kids were a bit younger back then. Um, there was a kind of inflection point, I would say, somewhere around like 2018, 2019, where like, People were playing our games and talking about them, and like, hey, I played that game that your dad's company makes. And, yep. and then it was cool for my kids to be like, oh, yeah, my dad works for Jackbox Games, and you were playing Fibbage. And like, then it was cool. I don't know if that's rebounded or not yet. I think it's still cool. I it do. has. Yeah. It okay. has in my house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's like being home with family is, is wonderful and nerve wracking all at the same time. Like, it's, you know, it's 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 uh, it. I'm sure I will look back fondly uh, when they're off at college and be like, "Wasn't that great? We had that year when we were all together yeah, right, and got right. to spend all this time together." Um, and but I also feel really bad for the situation the kids are in. Like they sure. need social interaction. They need to be with their classmates. They need to get out of the house and be able to just complain about mom and dad. You know, right. like like all of us did when we were that age. And uh, so I, I again, I kind of hope things get back to normal faster than than. Than everybody Before predicts. we totally move away from your career yeah. and into your personal life, sure. and hopefully it won't get too personal. Yeah, I don't know where we're going with this, <laughs> guys. Um, yeah. Neither do I. Uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about some of the conventions you've gone to and, oh. and how those play out and what you enjoy about those and maybe what you don't. Yeah, I mean, that's another bummer of this whole quarantine is all of that's been shut down, right? I mean, there's been nothing for a year and there's... Uh, you know, at least uh, five or six kind of big conventions that happen throughout the year that we attend. Um, you know, the biggest one is uh, E3, which is the Electronic Entertainment Expo that happens out in L.A. every year. It's uh, it's uh, kind of sensory overload takes over the whole L.A. Convention Center. And you walk in there and it's like jumbotrons and music and noise and enormous stages and, you know, every game you can imagine um, being played around you. And it's it's really cool because it's just a fun celebration of our industry. It's a fun way to do it. Um, that one's very industry focused. Um, uh, but, you know, you get kind of big players there, all Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, all the big uh, all the big um, uh, publishers, Activision, EA, all those guys. Uh, then there are smaller events. Um, we've had, uh, quite a bit of success and fun with the Penny Arcade Expos. They're called the PAX events. And there's four of those a year. There's, uh, there's one in Boston, one in San Antonio, one in Seattle, and one in Melbourne, Australia. And wow. we, we go to every one of those every year. And, uh, so it's four times a year. And that's another one that I kind of give that analogy about the kids. Like the first time we went to that, nobody knew who we were or what we were doing and now when we go to them we have this like grouping of followings that want to play our games and come by our stage and and you know we'll we'll do a, a panel show at night for 1500 people and it'll be like a packed house and so those are really fun ways to meet with the fans and meet with the consumers of the games as opposed to the industry do you feel like the cool kids now yeah, right. Awesome. I mean, right. It's a big celebration of gaming nerds, and so we're you know, that's fine. I I fit in really well with that. Uh, but it's um, you know, it it's a shame. All that stuff is just remote or canceled. And remote is you watching a video feed of a of a panel talk. It's no interaction with you know the the, the whole industry or the fans. 
Um, but there's some great ones out there. Um, there's some there's some local stuff. C2E2 happens in Chicago. It's kind of a Comic-Con meets electronics kind of expo that happens here. That sounds nerdy. Yeah, it's very nerdy. People cosplay. And, nice. Yeah, um, but it's fun. You go there. I mean, there's not a big video game presence there, but, but there's some, and we participate um, in it. Uh, but... Um, but, you know, there's events all over the place. All right, uh, tell the truth. Have you ever dressed up in costume in any of those? Yeah, with the kids. Are you willing to tell us what I the took costumes the kids. were? Yeah, do you know Gravity Falls, that cartoon, yeah. that Disney cartoon? Yeah. Um, I, I dressed up as Grunkle Stan. Nice. And uh, my kids were uh, Mabel and Dipper, and we went to C2E2 in com- costume. And a bunch of people wanted to take pictures with us. You've gone to Comic-Con, so, too, haven't you? I have not been to Comic-Con. Really? You yeah. want to, though, don't you? I would go. I'm yeah. calling BS on this. I sure. think you have. I haven't. I actually haven't. Um, I've gone to a lot of nerdy video game things i haven't gone to just general nerdy stuff yeah uh, i'm not a cosplayer i'm not a, yeah like yeah. but but i would go i think that would be fun sure so do you have any interesting hobbies outside of maybe video games um more video games i guess uh um, <laughs> he's I, doubling down on video uh, games yeah um i i restore like classic arcade games oh I've, wow i've really? done yeah i've done probably i don't know a dozen of those over time what, do, got, what do you mean classic how classic uh so like you know millipede or pac-man or like you know, stand-up s- console stuff from the 80s yeah like yeah. a stand-up uh, coin-operated got arcade it. game um uh, and uh, I've got a couple. Well, what, what I'm thinking of are yeah. things that had flippers and little balls. That I, well, I have that too. <laughs> I, have, I have a yeah, I have a pinball machine in the basement, and then I have a virtual pinball machine that I built, which is really kind of fascinating. It's a uh, you know, think of like a 50 inch screen that's laid out like a play field, and then another screen on the back box, and it, you put a computer in there, and you run emulated game tables, and it's got force feedback in it. So when a wow. ball when a ball hits. Yeah. You know, a flipper over here, like a solenoid hits against the cabinet and makes it feel like there's actually a ball rolling around in there. And um, so they're, they're nerdy video game habits. It's that kind you of stuff. You have a Galaga at home, don't you? I don't have. Well, I have a sit-down cocktail machine that plays Galaga and Ms. Pac-Man. And, yes. I was going to say Pac-Man. I don't have an upright one, though. No. I, you I, have the little Pac-Man cocktail table? The cocktail table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, you said your 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 basement's like a man cave kind of thing. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah awesome. Would you call it a man cave or a boy cave? Uh, <laughs> Either one's acceptable. I'd call it a man cave. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> just had to ask. <laughs> I don't know. If I've ever heard it called a boy cave. Yeah. Well, you know, video games. We're all boys at heart, right? right? I guess. Now it's a man cave. The pinball dropped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From boy to man. Wow. <laughs> So what do you like to do for vacations, you and your family? Oh, man, anything. <laughs> Nowadays, anything. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, we tend to like to go to warm places. And, and you know, we're... we're uh, Melbourne? Yeah. Depending <laughs> on the season? I have been to Melbourne uh, four times now, but not with the family. That's all for oh, work. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm no, working, we, honey. You know, Florida, Hawaii, um, we like, you know, those are kind of our relaxation Have you tried going south, like... Berwyn, Cicero, Blue, I've, Blue I've, Island. I've been to those That's areas. I haven't vacationed there. I can't say no. Okay. Um, I did take these yeah. guys uh, one spring break a couple years ago for an to island island tour. We saw Blue, Blue, Stony, uh-huh. Goose. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, as many as we could fit in in the week. Okay, that's good. What's on Mike's bucket list? Man, yeah, I, these are the heavy hitting questions you get on yeah, the road. Yeah, wow, I don't know. And it could be a destination yeah, or could an be anything. experience. Um. Uh, I'd, oh man, I don't know. I'd like to get to China at some point. Um, I got to Japan a couple of years ago. Really enjoyed that. Nice. Really loved Japan. Um, I think I'd like to get to China. 
Um, and you have a reason to go to Japan because they at their amusement park they just opened Super Mario. World. They did, and right when we Universal? went, yeah, we didn't go to Universal when we were there. I, I went with the family, but we did go to uh, Disney. We went nice. to Disney Sea and Disney World, and that was pretty amazing too. If you're at least been into Disney or theme parks, it was pretty cool. Any uh, pet projects, charities, etc. Um, either local or national. Yeah, my family's pretty active with Catholic charities. Um, nice. And uh, my mother and, and and father were on the board for a while and and worked with uh, Gala of the Arts, and so we tend to do some active fundraising with that uh, throughout the year. Um, How about mentors? Any mentors in your life? Um. There's probably a handful of business mentors, people that I talk to on occasion and seek advice from. Um, um, our, um, our, uh, our, our VC, who's also a board member of the company. Is also That's not Varmin Kong, right? No, our venture Varmin capital. Kong, uh, as they say? Yeah, he's, he's been a great mentor as well and kind of... Is uh, there like an industry association that you get advice from or... Not really. No. Um, you know, there are, there's the, uh, the IGDA, the International Game Developers Association. There's GDC, which is the Game Developers Conference. These are all kind of educational groups that are meant to kind of foster new people into the industry and to educate them. Um, you know, I've, I've done talking engagements with them before with GDC and, um, I've also participated, uh, you know, as a as a as a end user to actually be educated over the years and learn from people. Um, but I don't know that there's really some kind of advisory board, or, or if you will, um, you know, the best thing that has happened is when you're in industry for for any amount of time, you just get to know a ton of people, and the industry becomes pretty small to you. And you know, that's certainly been my experience with the video game space. Just having spent all that time at Midway, which was a very large company, and then uh, you know, dissolved. So all those people scattered throughout the industry. And then the company I'm at now, which started off with, you know, nobody, and then we've grown it into where we're at. Um, just going to those industry events multiple times a year and knowing all the people that I've known from that, it all just becomes this small group. But people have kind of grown through the industry the way I have. You know, I kind of entered the industry in 2000. Um, the same kind of people that I knew from that time frame are still in the industry. And many of them are in you know, very high positions at different publishers or first party like Nintendo or Microsoft, Sony. And so it's great. I still have those connections and I'll reach out and talk to those kind of folks from time to time. And I definitely see them or typically see them multiple times a year at these conferences. And, can, can you give us a sneak peek on where you see Jackbox going? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we're a private company. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk right now in IPO and SPACs and there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening. I don't know that that's our future, um, but I, you know, we're we're successful. We're you know we're profitable. Um, you know, we we give returns to we do dividends and give returns to the shareholders, um, and so the goal is just to continue to build it. Right now, it's let's keep growing the company, and I think there's a lot of opportunity just to reach new consumers that we haven't yet reached that don't know about us that would you know, have that eureka moment when they first draw something on the phone and it shows up on the screen. And like, yeah. oh, this is pretty great. And this is pretty fun. And it's very accessible and simple to play. That There's, was me. There, there isn't a huge technical barrier to entry. You think I got to learn a joystick and I don't know how to play this game. It's a very simple game when you're introduced to it. So I think we can introduce it to a lot of people that way. And then I do think this international expansion plan, um, you know, can we can double the size of the company in a handful of years, in my opinion. Nice. Can you tell us a little bit about your family? 
Sure. I've got, um, so my wife worked at Motorola for 23 years. Um, she's an electrical engineer. She's brilliant. She's beautiful. Where'd she go to school? She went to Marquette. Yeah. Um, double E degree there from there. Uh, and, uh, I have, uh, I have a daughter, um, who's 16 and she's at York. And I have a son who is, uh, 15, who's also at York. So junior and a freshman. My daughter just started driving. Um, you know, super proud parent, uh, brilliant kids. They get great, great grades. They're very driven. Uh, a lot of extracurriculars. My son plays lacrosse. My daughter plays tennis, um, both at York. My, uh, my kids both do School of Rock. So they play guitar and keyboards. And my daughter also sings. Awesome. So they do that multiple nights a week. And then like every quarter of the year, they have a big concert where they all perform. Um, my daughter's very active in band. She loves band. She plays the clarinet. My son is tutelage of Mike Pavlik. My the, yes, the old licorice stick. Mike yes, Pavlik. Yes, yes. Who's that? We know Mike. Yeah, and um, and uh, and my son is probably a budding kind of esports contender. He's getting really good at video games. So Shock, <laughs> shocking. Yeah, imagine that. Do you have huh? any musical talent? I play the piano. Nice. Have yeah. you ever uh, tried a kazoo? <laughs> I'm sure I have. Are you familiar with the world famous? Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra? I am in the parades. Absolutely. You could yeah. probably roll a piano. We have the dumb major right over there. Okay. Lawrence, right. the dumb major. Present. Am, am I in the presence of multiple participants of that parade? I am a you might second be. chair kazoo. <laughs> and, um, you know, you, you went to Purdue, right? I did. What yeah. what are they famous for? Their the, band? The world's largest drum. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> that is eight feet in diameter and four uh-huh. feet wide. Uh-huh. The world famous Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra has a nine foot diameter drum that's four and a half feet wide. Wow. I don't want to make you do the math. That's a foot bigger. Wow. So have have you taken this to Purdue? I mean, have you told them or demonstrated that your drum is sizably larger? Uh there there's no compare. I mean, it's it's not worth our time. I mean, I it's not worth my lord's. It's not time. worth your time, but you want the bragging right. Well, <laughs> it's absolutely larger. Trust me. It's indisputable. It's Pur- Purdue's indis- response was size doesn't matter. I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so Who's if you yours? can play kazoo, um <laughs> You can audition for I could, us. I could try out. Okay. Uh, can you steam well, I, a mirror? I have to wear like a whitey tidy and a lawn chair, right? Can I mean, you, no, I, no lawn chairs. Can you steam a mirror? Steam a mirror. Can you yeah. fog a mirror with your breath? Fog a mirror. Well, sure. Who can't do that? You're in. <laughs> yeah, that's our audition process. You're alive? All right. right. I'm in. All right. Rick, you could roll a piano, couldn't you? I can oh, tune it's, a piano it's, and it's, it's you know, too, I can't tune a fish. It, is that too musical? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> One last question. Sure. And that is uh this is this is the question. This is the question. This is your opportunity Uh-oh. to make somebody in your life feel really good, okay? Okay. And it can't be your wife. Okay. So don't even go there. Okay. So you're in the middle of a battle. You're in a bunker. Jeez. You're under fire. Who do you want with you in that bunker? You can have one person. Huh. Under fire. Any one person but not your wife. Because that's what everyone answers. You, you don't have to pick any of us. I don't look. I mean, would you want your wife there? Like you're putting her in harm's way. That seems like most a really guys. Little, most guys just want to like, stay out of trouble, Mark. So they say to their be wife polite and say right. my yeah, wife. Yeah, yeah. I want which my is wife why we, which is why we exclude your wife. Right. Right. Kind of like uh, yeah. the one of the person. I'm sure I she's be a great. I'm sure she's a great woman. Right. But yeah. Given if she's not available, who's who's the who's your foxhole mate? Right. Well, uh, living dead doesn't matter. Nope. No. 
Yeah, doesn't I mean, matter. No, real uh, cartoon character. Yeah, I'd probably, whatever. I'd probably grab my grandfather then. Wow, uh, nice. Yeah, World War II World vet War or something. Two vet, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I really thought you were going to say Popeye. <laughs> right. right, Popeye. <laughs> <laughs> Popeye and a can of spinach. <laughs> no, actually, no, that was a good yeah. answer. Your grandpa, a great me, answer. Tell us why your grandfather. He, he would know what he's doing in that situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, World War II and, vet. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And where'd he That's grow awesome. up? Southside. Where'd he grow up? He grew up in Chicago. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great oh, answer. I like that you went logical with that. Well, I mean, I'm trying to save lives, right? Mine and whoever right. I'm with. So somebody who could probably do well in warfare, I would think. I can picture him. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I... if it's sacrificial lamb and it's like, <laughs> I just want somebody by my side, then it seems like you'd probably say, I want my wife with me. Like, we'll go out together. And yeah. So one last plug for your company. Yeah. Tell folks where they can find out more. Yeah. So you go to jackboxgames.com or just jackbox.com and it'll take you to our website. Um, there are a number of videos that kind of give overviews or introductions to what our games are. There's an FAQ and, and a blog post in there too. that explains how to play our games, both on your television or over video, video conference, uh, equipment like Zoom or Skype or Hangouts or any of them. Um, but there are, uh, seven party packs. Each of them has five games. Uh, they're on 10 different platforms. So if you think you have a device, or don't think you have a device that would play them, I guarantee you do. They'll run on laptops. They'll run on uh, set-top boxes like Apple TV and Fire TV. And then if you have any kind of gaming console, they'll run on those. Um, they're amazing fun with friends and family. You can have a great time playing with your kids, and you can have an excellent time playing with adults when the kids are in bed and you have a couple drinks and it gets a little blue. Um, the games are really a lot of fun for, for all situations. Amen, and we'll all uh, pile on on that. Yeah, that was a lot a, of fun. As a newbie, I would encourage all of our listeners to give it a try. It was a lot of fun. Mike Builder, CEO of Jackbox Games, thanks for being with us tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, it was man. great. Appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. The E-Town Lowdown, brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra, featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right, nine feet in diameter.